All right, Howlers, let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Don't be a pixie. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy, email howlerpod at gmail.com, visit howlerpod.com, and rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, I am going to attack you with some hatchets, and I'm going to cut your ear off and break your arm and put one in your back, and it's going to suck. And now, howlerpod. You untidy abortion. How the hell are you still sucking oxygen? He glares at the clone. And what the fucking fuck is that? <laughs> Hello, Howlers. Welcome to HowlerPod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I am your host, Ben Reinert. I am joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. Aaron, what are we doing today? Dark Age, chapters 53 to 59. Let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into our chapter summaries. Hopefully we don't shit our suits. Or get cloned. Or vomit on the floor <laughs> after we see said clone. Chapter 53, Virginia, Pandemonium. Virginia is Lilith's prisoner. She's in the Pandemonium chair, and the Bone Riders are trying to extract intel from her brain. She has false memories implanted with the true ones, and they don't have the manpower to sort it all out. Virginia regains consciousness in a chair in the center of Moon Hall Court, she has been paralyzed by the psycho spike in her brain and cannot speak words, but she can see and understand what's happening around her. Via a hologram, Mustang watches as members of the Lion's Guard and her household. Senators, Sky Hall officers, businessmen, and politicos are brought into the courtyard outside Moon Hall to be brutally executed. The first prisoner, Theodora, is brought forward. She is hooked by a chain to the ground underneath the Obelisk of Ares Monument. Uh, Publius and the Vox drop the 10,000 tons of stone onto her and her blood runs to the troughs where the crowd dips their banners and kerchiefs in to wave around. They repeat the ceremony with Servilla, Alexander's mom, and then Publius gives Virginia this dumb, self-interested speech about how he's a good person and she isn't, so therefore she has to die and he gets to lead the people. Fucking Publius. Villain speech. Yeah. Like, really long, <laughs> annoying villain speech. And Virginia's <laughs> rolling her eyes like, you don't even know you're a puppet. This fucking guy. You idiot. Chapter 54, Virginia, Justice of the Meek. Virginia, still paralyzed in the chair. Publius, six radical Vox senators, and several dozen others are in the Moon Hall Court for Virginia's private hearing, which, of course, is also being broadcast to the world. Publius reads her charges as Virginia sits in silence. Suddenly, the robotic cameras go dead and fall to the floor, and there's a scream at the back of the court. Bone riders drop in and behead the wardens guarding the senators. Lilith, queen of the syndicate, walks in, 
pulling off her red disguise to reveal herself to Publius and the senators. Publius is surprised. She's not a red. He's given a dog collar by Lilith and told to be a good little pet. The rest of the senators are given collars, and those who resist are killed. Then, to Virginia's horror, the abomination enters. A little ten-year-old clone of her brother, Adrius, a.k.a. the Jackal. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I was going to do more of a like... <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 55, Virginia, the Wolf, and the Mother. Virginia sits and watches her new quote-unquote brother in horror as he stands in front of the morning chair. Severo, Pebble, and Clown are brought before it and driven to their knees. The abomination explains the original Jackal's insurance policy and how Lilith followed out his plans by giving birth to the clone and raising him. He explains how he spied on Virginia with the Packlebell birds. Severo, after being warned not to threaten the clone, threatens him again. So he has a metal wolf brought in with some howlers inside. No! Including Min Min. No! <laughs> the wolf begins to glow and cooks the howlers alive. That seems like maybe one of the worst ways we've seen people die. Not great, Bob. Well, no, wait. Pulls up butts. <laughs> Slowly over time, yeah. Yeah, that's worse. But still, you don't want to be the, what is it, the lobster in the pot? That's true. The clone tells Severo that he's going to use the Psycho Spike to reprogram his mind. Severo tries to attack the clone but is beaten down by Lilith and the Bone Riders until he loses consciousness. Poor several. He's having a tough chapter. <laughs> Probably the toughest. <laughs> yes. Not sure. He did. Didn't he lose an arm once? What happened in the Institute? He lost an eye. Oh, his eye. Mm -hmm. Cassius lost his arm. I'm forgetting who's losing what body parts. <laughs> chapter 56, Virginia, a maze with no center. Virginia is the guest of honor at a banquet for the Bone Riders. Not a party I would want to be invited to. Above House Telemannus, House Arcos, and almost all the lesser gold houses of the Republic have arrived with their ships and are preparing to attack the Vox fleet over Luna. While Virginia sits and watches, the clone makes a puzzle and gives it to Lilith to solve. When she can't even begin, Virginia solves it and adds a volley to it passing it back to the clone they pass the puzzle back and forth and they're enjoying the games unlike real adrius <laughs> virginia uses this opening to bring up the room of puzzles that she saved from her original brother lilith had hidden these from the clone and he gets super duper pissed and demands that she have them restored to their original place so he can view them at once he puts the battle strategies on pause the clone stands in Virginia's private office, viewing the puzzles on the wall in her hidden vestibule. Virginia asks that Lilith give them privacy. Virginia sits in a chair next to a table with night lilies in a vase. Lilith then paralyzes her legs via the psycho spike and leaves the two alone in the room. The sibs chat about life and their fam. <laughs> In the past and present and the old and the new Adrius. And Virginia gets an insight into this psycho 10-year-old's thinking. And he's clearly a psychopath because he doesn't even feel happiness or evil. She draws him in close and she hands him one of the night lilies. He grabs it from her violently. Shouldn't be doing that. 
Chapter 57, Virginia Black Cathedral. The Night Lily responds to the rough handling by shooting necrotic spines with poison into the clone's hand. He screams and falls to the floor. As the blinding pain hits him, the flower got Mustang as well, and she throws her body into motion. Grabbing the data pad and the discarded flower, she crawls to the vestibule where an escape hatch is hidden under a framed puzzle. Lilith uh, bursts in the door holding two hatchets and runs towards Virginia. She finds the right function on the data pad and gets her legs working right before Lilith slams a hatchet into her back. Mustang gets the secret escape chute open. Lilith violently attacks Mustang with the hatchet, breaking her arm and slamming it into her shoulder, cutting her ear off. Mustang throws the flower at Lilith and it hits her in the face. She cuts her nose off. And Mustang dives down the escape hatch. Uh, She lands in a safe room and locks the other access points. She stumbles to the medical bay and treats the wounds she can reach before calling Kavax. He tells her to eject and she gets in the escape pod. She shoots off and at the exit is met by Holiday and some soldiers who carry her on a stretcher to an escape shuttle outside. Mustang passes out, wakes to find Deanna and Sophocles at her bedside. Mustang cries into Deanna's arms for all her lost friends. Later, Kavax, Niobe, and Holiday come in to talk strategy. There are people on the ground who will try to rescue Severo and the Howlers. They decide the best course is to abandon a rescue mission for Darrow and instead retreat to Mars because there's a backup plan because Kavax sent somebody special to Mars. Guess who it was? <laughs> when I was listening, I was in the car and I screamed his name right after that chapter. The yeah. same man that told us that the rim was coming. And I was like, Cosmos! <laughs> <laughs> that was the only uh, happy part of I the entire... <laughs> I was like so happy Virginia was back because I was like, oh, yay, she is alive. And then I was not happy she was back yeah, was because like her chapters were so horrible. Horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing happens just like all Oh, you know row. what we should do here? We should squish everyone. <laughs> That's a great plan. <laughs> Moving on, chapter 58, Darrow, Severo's Palace. Darrow joins Glorastes, the master builder, master maker, <laughs> Hernassus, and a huge team of engineers and workers in the hangar of the Morningstar. They have carved out the midsection of the ship so they can fit another smaller, faster ship inside armed with a super fancy EMP built by Glorastes. It's a secret, though. Darrow's got a brand new plan. (laughs) He's back, baby. But in order to keep Glorastes happy and working on this very important secret EMP mission, they need sardines. (laughs) Because Glorastes has weird taste in food. And he's a spoiled little brat. He is a spoiled little brat. One problem, though, there are no sardines in Heliopolis, except maybe, possibly, in Severo's stateroom. And nobody wants to go up there because it's super booby-trapped. Darrow is the only one who's not a pixie, so he's like, I'm going to do it myself, and he heads up there. Once there, he's faced with the memories of his best friend, and he's also shot with a bunch of spikes and booby traps (laughs) (laughs) um he's looking at severo's possessions totems and pictures of his family he reflects on their relationship and the decisions each of them has made and he comes to understand why severo made the choice he did because his father fitchner Ares, waged war instead of raising little baby severo 
He was never going to do that to his own girls. So after reaching this reflection, Darrow resolves to fix his relationship with Severo and stop separating himself from his own family. And I feel like he's reached this resolution before. <laughs> he's kind of like the rest of us where these New Year's resolutions just fall short every year, but you keep making them. You know, it's it's all about trying. It's all about hope. <laughs> and that takes us to the final chapter, chapter 59, Lysander, the Impaler. Lysander is being tortured by Gorgons, and it super sucks. He's also managed to work his way into the trust of the Arcosian Knights with his Cato of Vitruvius story and the fact that he's also like being tortured a bunch. On the fifth day of torture, he is taken to the butt Impaler himself, <laughs> Atlas Ara. He has returned. After trading a few barbs, Lysander tells Atlas that Ajax tried to kill him. Um, Atlas tells Lysander that Ajax is fucking Atalantia. And then he goes on to tell so Lysander. That's, the, that's where the real ant fucker comes in. Yeah. <laughs> like Lysander, it's loosely ant fucker. But yeah. with Ajax, it would like actual ant fucker. Actual ant fucker. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Sorry to interject. I Very just fun. wanted to make sure everyone knew whose <laughs> ant was getting fucked. <laughs> Uh, Atlas goes on to tell Lysander that Atalantia plans to release a chemical weapon on Heliopolis in five days. It's the same chemical weapon that we saw the testing results of previously, where it was like all the shit. Everybody was like eating each other and ripping each other's faces off. It was all fucked up. Um, Everybody in the city is going to die. Good guys, bad guys, everybody. Lysander doesn't like that idea, and Atlas doesn't really either, but it's not their decision. Obviously, it's Atalantia's, uh, so they kind of form a quick plan that will use Lysander's Cato identity and previous relationship with the master builder slash maker, Glorastes. They stage a fight, kind of have a real one, and Lysander chokes Atlas out. He then takes Atlas's hosta and runs back to the prison area where he sloppily takes out the guards and frees the Arcosian knights. They all go back to Atlas's room and grab him and some supplies, including a map of the whole cave system that they're in. Um, they set off some bombs and then they head off into the maze of the tunnels with the Gorgons in hot pursuit. Nice. <laughs> I like that tap. All right. So that's what happened this week. Now we need to talk about the theme that ties all these chapters together. Aaron, what's this week's theme? Deception. Wow. Lots of deception this week. Yep. Everybody's deceiving everybody. It's kind of how the golds work. <laughs> That's true. I mean, <laughs> we're not surprised. So let's jump into our chapter by chapter theme insert and learn about how everyone's deceiving everybody. Our first deceiver is obviously Lilith. Fucking Lilith. Fucking Lilith. So Mustangs. Well, is it Lilith? Yes, it is. Well, yeah. it's kind of. It's. She's not running the show, but right. we can give her some credit. Uh, so Mustangs over here thinking to herself, uh, the Lion of Mars was shot down over Hyperion 10 years ago to stop her from fulfilling my brother's last wish for Luna to burn. But somehow, some way, she survived. I don't understand. Lilith isn't clever enough to do all this. She's a killer, not an architect. Did Adelania planet Atlas? So you're right. Lilith is definitely not <laughs> smart <laughs> smart enough to Sorry, figure this out herself. Spoiler alert, she's not smart enough. <laughs> and no, uh, she did not die. So we were deceived by this death 
And um, by the way, like I said on this podcast recently, when your ship gets shot down, you probably won't die because nobody dies. So therefore, they should have nuked the ship. <laughs> like you need the super killer. It is but um, you know, she did survive, and of course, have a creepy baby clone. Right. Yeah, and at this moment, Mustang is trying to figure out who's behind this. Is it Atalantia, Atlas? And it is kind of those two, but it's also somebody else. And then we move on to our next quote where not only is Mustang being deceived by Lilith, but also just the people of the Republic now. Uh, Do you want to read this quote? Sure. Mustang's thinking, In my silence, my people will prescribe condescension and guilt. If this were a time of peace, there would be a rebellion and anarchy. Sorry, you know, Talladega Nights. Anarchy! <laughs> I don't know what it means, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read that word without saying that. Okay. But in a time of war, they will swallow it just to have a leader, and I will be executed. My son will watch. Atalantia will lift the communication blockade on Mercury and let Darrow watch. And Lilith will rule through Publius. It's masterful. Publius is also being deceived himself here. He's talking to Mustang and he says, I looked up to you once, you know. I truly did. Lilith's puppet smiles sadly to himself and leans against the dais. He doesn't know he's a puppet. He thinks he's in control. Ha! Good job, the incorruptible. Publius is just always acting. This is like he gives such a freaking end of the movie villain speech here and i'm just actually glad that abominadria showed up and put a dog collar on him <laughs> he kind of deserves it right <laughs> he um he thinks that he truly is incorruptible like in his heart he thinks that of himself he does this thing where he just like justifies his actions to himself he says that mustang you know She's a horrible person. At one point, he says, you allied with uh, the Rim Lords, like when they mm-hmm. made uh, a treaty with the Moon Lords for a little bit to fight against the core. Um, he said, yeah, maybe I used the syndicate, but at least I didn't get together with golds. And he's just <laughs> like, it's just like, dude. I roll. And yeah. then he also is saying that Mustang is the reason why like the silvers are rich and why there's such a disparity between the rich and the poor. Mm -hmm. But what Publius doesn't see is the larger picture where Mustang is constantly planning for the future, not just for the present. And Publius is just seeing like the issues of the rich and poor right now in the present. So Virginia is always planning ahead and trying to keep everyone from killing each other. And then Publius blows it all up and everyone kills each other. (laughs) Yep. And it's just like the, especially in these chapters that we read today, the six or seven chapters, like we had this plot like all wound up, like everything was tied up so tight, and now it's all just being unwound, and we're seeing like the deception on top of the deception on top of the deception, and we're learning in all these chapters exactly what's going on, pretty much in the Republic and the and the society and that kind of thing. So then. This is a exciting part when Publius <laughs> um, gets confronted with the truth when mm-hmm. Lilith walks in and she strips off her red disguise and one of his Vox senators is like, 
are you crazy? You allied with bone riders? Yeah. And then Publius looks at Lilith and says, you're not a red. Lilith tilts her head. The right hand of the emperor, a red? Disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) This was a full, like, everybody thought she was a red. If you remember from our Iron Gold reread, uh, we talked about how I think it was Holiday said that their intelligence all said that the Syndicate Queen was a red operating, a red woman operating on Earth. And then also we learn later on in these chapters that the Golds think that the Syndicate Queen is a red as right. well. They also thought she was an obsidian and stuff too. Well, right. all the rumors. Yes, there was multiple rumors multiple like that. Rumors. But like Republic intelligence, they were thinking that she was a red. The people that were talking about her being Obsidian was like Ephraim and some of those people, like Syndicate Thorns. Right, the Syndicate Thorns. You heard them say that. Mm -hmm. So um, then she says the Emperor, and that's when you're like, who's the Emperor? Right. So Lilith says when this little creepy clone boy walks in, my Emperor, your slaves await. Small hands applaud from behind me, and the Bone Riders bend in amorous supplication, even Lilith. Well done, my queen. Well done, my friends. That's my 10-year-old voice. <laughs> that voice. It's accent, loonies, but I know it to my bones. Fear eclipses all rational thought. Little footsteps make their way to the front of the court. An abomination wears the face of a small boy around 10 years old. <sighs> How did you feel about it this time around on the reread? I don't know. I kind of like it. I kind of <laughs> like it now, too. <laughs> <laughs> cute little evil boy <laughs> i think pierce is making me more evil because like this stuff is not bothering me as much last time i read this book i was like actually depressed like i did have like a visceral like repulsive like no no like the first time it happened like the first time i read it but now i'm like oh he's just baby jackal like he's yeah. not as bad as real jackal right he still want he wants mustang's approval he's not the same person he, he, like, kind of is, but yeah. he's not as powerful or as smart as Adrius, even though he is very smart. Mm-hmm. And he's also, like, still a kid who can be molded, and Mustang's smart enough to already be able to manipulate him. Right. And he wants her approval. She's, like, she's the new Nero Augustus for him. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I really liked, he's like, is at one point he says, I am Adrius, but I'm not Adrius. And then Mustang's just like, do you even want to be? Yeah, like, like <laughs> you're just a kid. Yeah. Like, do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> do you even care about, like, ruling the world? It's uh, it's really interesting how much my thoughts have changed around that. Like, this time I actually kind of really enjoyed the reveal, and now I'm interested to kind of see where it goes. I'm excited for the next book yeah. to see what the clone does because i kind of feel like he's gonna do some good stuff for us yeah oh yeah i mean he does seem to be easily swayed by mustang even though she threw a poisonous flower at him right he's definitely going to be antagonizing the society at least a little bit because he like calls them dumb and stuff throughout these chapters and he knows that they don't know about him so and he doesn't like the society. He doesn't care about anything because he's like a sociopath. Mm-hmm. And then also he already is planning on killing Lilith. Right. Who's <laughs> kind of driving him to take over. So I feel like he just wants Mustang to 
be like his big sis and tell him what to do. Right. I wonder who gets to kill Ki- Lilith in the in the end, and whether it will actually be Abominadrius or that'd be cool. That would be kind of cool, actually, just because I think that would break her heart the most, <laughs> <laughs> and she deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Abominadrius goes on to say, "Pulling apart your republic was so easy; a child could do it." He smiles. I cannot rule publicly, of course, in time, perhaps, but until then, my socialist dog will do. So this fits in with the quote we had earlier where they're going to be deceiving the entire republic at large using Publius as a puppet for... Publius the puppet. Publius the puppet for their nefarious deeds. And then, uh, like we were saying, Mustang has a lot of sway over this little clone bro. Mm -hmm. And she's smart enough to go ahead and use all that. Yeah, already using it to deceive him already using it. And she's saying to him... In time, all things are possible, brother. She's like, you know, getting in the sister route. Mm-hmm. I pick up the night lily out from amongst the dead flowers in the vase and hand it out to him the way Bologna knights did as they returned to loved ones from war. He takes the flower, but he doesn't take it the way I would or the way Adrius would. He takes it like an entitled child who spends too much time indoors violently i love that she says that about him multiple times like like, you need to spend more time outside (laughs) like you've clearly been indoors too much yeah yeah she's already able here to take advantage of his want of her acceptance and love like he's already yearning for her to approve of him and um, she takes advantage of that and in this moment is able to deceive him and get him to take the night lily which ultimately allows her to escape and allows her to have lilith cut her own nose off so now she's even uglier so that ends our um quotes with mustang and abominadrius and we'll move on to atlas and lysander now because they had some good conversations and come up with a deception of their own pretty much between the two of them Um, So it starts out with some background information and some background deception that Atalantia is pulling. So Atlas says, Ajax is fucking Atalantia. (laughs) What Uh, a nice thing for your (laughs) dad to say about you. Yeah, it's dad. It's so weird to think about that. And then Lysander is thinking, at first I thought I misheard, but it begins to make sense. Ajax is quiet when Atalantia kissed me, his territorial marking, his fear that I would replace him at his aunt's side. You didn't know? Few do. She took my son as a paramour before he turned 16. She would reward him for the heads of gold blood traders with sexual favors. Just gross. That's a good family dynamic. And then Lysander says, did Magnus know? And then Atlas responds, of his daughter's depravity? Yes. Of its deeper depths and my son's sexual enslavement to his remaining daughter? He shrugs. Magnus always had a selective conscience, especially with precious Atalantia. That's a great family. I just got to say, their Thanksgivings had to be <laughs> crazy. Atalantia is so screwed up. She's weird. I don't think we talk about that enough, just like how fucked up she is. So um, the deception here is in the history of the family. Right. And it's in Atalantia really sexually abusing Ajax and deceiving him into thinking he's a lover and not just a 
pawn in her a game. Pawn, right. Yeah. Do you think that this is like a widely known thing? I don't think so because Lysander didn't know. Yeah, that's well, a good point. He's also been away for like. I'm just wondering, years. like those like core gold families, whether they would know. Whether they know? Yeah. I'm not sure, and no. also I don't know. I don't know how golds feel about incest, but I know that they're like more fluid and sexually open. Yeah, we but haven't. I, I doubt they would be okay with the Adelantia Ajax pairing. Yeah. I, w- I don't think it would really fly. So I, I doubt it's like widely known. But if it was such a like horrible thing then why is Atlas just kind of letting it happen and not like, why is he, I don't know. Atlas just seems like a soldier to me and not necessarily like a leader. But if this has been going on since Ajax was a child, he does kind of, Lysander asks and he says Ajax was too far gone, basically. But you'd think that he would still like kill Atalantia, but maybe not. They uh, go on to kind of formulate their plan because they both don't want to see Heliopolis have this chemical weapon um, released on it. Lysander's kind of doing it out of he doesn't want to see all these people die and Atlas basically comes to the same conclusion. He's like, we fought on this planet. These people have helped us. I don't want to see them all die, basically. So he does have a conscience. Right. And so this is right before they have their kind of fake fight, but real fight. And Atlas says, obviously, my men can't know. Make it look real. Kill them if you must. They know their duty. He waits for me to hit him. Well, let's see how good the pupil of Bologna, Octavia, and Aja really is. And he chokes him out. I think that, like, should have been a dead giveaway. What? That this Cato of Vitruvius supposedly... Like, like took down the Fear Knight? Took down Atlas Ara. Like, why is nobody, like, pausing for more than five seconds on that they kind of do but like that's a really big deal at first they're like trying to escape but then darrow should be like how did you get the fear night okay absolutely knows this this pixie yeah and he does shoot him with a tack net but he's also unconscious so like how did he get him unconscious yeah that should have been a dead giveaway but obviously the arcosian knights and alexander are like super excited to escape so they're not going to be like wait a second buddy they do for a little bit but yeah then that's our last quote so alex says if we get atlas to the sovereign what he has in his head will save millions this loyalist could have just won the war and you want to leave him he won't talk he doesn't need to they're talking about atlas in that situation and then ignatius who alex is talking is talking to um, he says he's not convinced i don't trust him and then Alexander says, Daryl will question him later. Like, let's fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> Enough chit chat. I still think they should have just left him behind. We got to get out of here. What? Yeah. He's still, he still can run and keep up. What are they going to do? Shoot him? That's true. I guess they could have shot him. But if they shot him, they would have all died. Because, well, spoiler alert, Lysander helps them get out of the tunnels. Spoiler alert, they all die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn. (laughs) Speaking of dying, that ends our theme of deception and takes us to our next segment, which is who died today? Bring them in. We have. (laughs) That's a long list today. We have Theodora. Oh, my gosh. That was a tough one. So here's the people who got squished. Theodora, Servilla, which is Alexander's mom, and then lots of people from the Lion Guard. Um, and Virginia's household, senators, Skyhall officers, 
businessmen and politicos all who were with Virginia, basically. Yeah. So then um, we lose a few more. Um, we lose Men Men and some Howlers oh. and the Wolf. And then we also lose Britannia Og Krieg, who is the rich businesswoman. She dies when they're like wrestling people at the Bone Rider <laughs> Banquet. That's <laughs> just chill. That's light just dinner entertainment. A light dinner entertainment. <laughs> you get like smashed to death. <laughs> and then uh, there's also some more Vox senators killed by Bone Riders when um, Lilith reveals herself. They kill a bunch of people. Mm. Basically, a lot of people die. Yeah, Min Min, Theodora. Like, we lost some big ones. Yeah, we lost some main characters here. That one, the Theodora one is tough because, like, Mustang, like, really goes into, like, her history and she kind of gives this, like, kind of great eulogy for Theodora in her head. Mm-hmm. It's, like, this woman that, like, basically was, like, sexually abused for so long in her life and has, like, brought herself up to this exact point and then she just gets smashed by a freaking... Just gets squished by an obelisk. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> which is like a giant monument. They don't explain how it's hoisted up, but it's lifted up like it's like floating in the air. I mean, just yeah. technology, future shit. And then they drop it. It's like the Washington Monument. That's an obelisk. Yeah, but uh, floating. Yes, with like stuff carved on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who died today. <laughs> it's always a fun segment. I'm glad that we have it. <laughs> Let's move on to our prime five, which is five of our favorite insights and observations. From this week's chapters. So, of course, we have to talk about Severo mm. having some great lines. Even though he's suffering, he still is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's really super fucked up and his friends are dying, he's got the sarcasm. I had to write this down because I feel like you untidy abortion has, has to be his best insult of all time. Well... I don't know. I like he also calls that's what he says to Lilith. But then mm-hmm. he calls the clone. He's like, you're just afterbirth. Like, you're not <laughs> you're not Adrius. You're just afterbirth. <laughs> just a lot of like really harsh, you know. Golly, he was. He was feeling pregnancy it that day. humor. Really. <laughs> I also liked how Pebble uh, could keep it in this like horrible situation and still kind of cracking jokes about like. Did you guys give me LSD? Like, this can't be real. <laughs> like, no, I, I hate, hate LSD. I hate LSD, clown. <laughs> so, yeah, way to bring a little bit of lightness to a probably the worst situation they've ever been in. Yeah, and then there's just major foreshadowing that he's going to get brain diddled. A little bit of brain diddling. I'm, I really don't want to see that. I think it's going to happen. So... Is there it going to happen go. and then Mustang fixes it? Or do you think it's going to be like a permanent thing? I think if it happens, it's permanent. Oh, God, that would be awful. Like, I don't think you can undiddle your brain. Mustang could undiddle. I'm not sure she could. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But I'm pretty sure once it's erased, you're like a clean slate. Yeah, that's true. You would need like a new download. You know, you'd have to have like you'd have to have a backed up version of Severo. And I don't think they have that. Fuck. <laughs> like, does he even find out that he has a son at that point? Or has, I don't know, had ben. a son? Dang, there's so much going on there. I hope that does not happen. I really hope that doesn't happen. He doesn't even know that he has a son at this point. That's true. Well, did they did they find out before? Or did they do the whole baby reveal thing with the blue balloons? No, because they said it was a girl. So they either 
So they're just waiting. I think they just didn't check, and they're they, just like probably going on feeling. They're just waiting. I guess. <laughs> Aren't there like just like a quick body scan? Like, yeah, it's boy. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, they've got the technology. I mean, well, we have it. It now. doesn't really make sense that they would get the sex wrong. They would just have to like Not willfully check. be ignorant. He's gonna get brain diddled. It's foreshadowed here, and Pierce never lets us down with his foreshadowing. I think on this one, it might be a tease and not come true. Oh, like a bait and switch? Yes, that's what I'm choosing. Okay. What's next? A red herring, if you will. Let's talk about Packlebells. Mmm, the birds. Abominadrius, he confirms that it was the Packlebells that gave him the secret info about Dancer and Mustang's alliance. His little birds sing to him. But we also learn that they aren't robots because Mustang says they had them checked for hardware. She said it has to be something more sophisticated. And I have no idea what that could possibly be. I think what I took that as is that they, when uh, she says, when Sophocles was eating them, we had them checked for hardware. I think it means it's just a more sophisticated type of robot which then i think means we're gonna see that technology from mm. quicksilver where like you don't know it's a robot but it is wow i just don't think something could be a machine and you could you'd have to be able to take it apart and it would still be a machine that made me think that maybe they were carved packle bell birds in some way they could like translate i don't know little bird speak <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, but if they're not robots, like no, have to I, be think, like a I think they're creation of some sort. I I 100% think that they are recording, and it's just like a more advanced. They just missed the fact that well, they like yeah, they missed it. They took them apart, right? But it it wasn't like obvious. They missed it. Hmm. Um, he also confirms that you know Atlas and Atalantia are are working with Lilith and helped sponsor this whole thing. But they don't know about him, and they don't know it's actually Lilith that they're working with. Um, so we talked about that a little bit earlier. We don't need to spend more time on it. There was one thing he said, though, that I thought was interesting. He says, and we talked about this a little bit before, I think, on our Iron Gold rereads. He also says he used the White Guilds to start a war. But I'm like, what war? This war? It was already, they were warring. They've been warring for 10 years. To start the Cephes War? Oh, okay. So start like the Obsidian. That's, yeah, you're right. Like the White Guilds getting Fa in and getting Cephe away from Luna. That's what I took that as. And then they also have to be involved with the Rim some, in some way too because like they, the White Guilds are the brokers for the Hollow that they received. We talked about that a bunch during our Iron Gold rereads as well. Right, right, right. Maybe it's like a future war between the Rim and the Core. I don't know. But that's an interesting quote as well. Yeah, I took that as the this war, but like the war within the war, like Sefi's whole thing. Okay. So, can I say this one? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> ben is having second thoughts about Holiday being the traitor. He thinks maybe... Been putting a lot of thought into this. Maybe he agrees with me in that it was always Publius. It might just be Publius. I think it definitely is. It might not be deeper than that. I might have been thinking too too deep about it. I'm still suspicious of Holiday. My my suspicions remain. Oh, my God. Just like my honor. Why would, but, why would she bring Mustang out? 
Right. No, you're right. Like I'm pretty much admitting defeat on this one. Yes. But I'm not. Going I'm never. <laughs> I'm never right, and it feels so good <laughs> to be right. Yeah, I think it may just be Publius. Yeah, that's what I think. It doesn't doesn't need to be more complicated than that. The only thing I would question is, I still don't think Publius would have like the information needed to take down Pax's ship. Like you know, when well, they he doesn't have any of that. The abomination gave him all of that through Lilith. But how do they get their schedules and stuff? Like the ship schedules and like where they're going to be and when and flying to where? They got that through Lyria. No. Who? Yeah, they they hack. They like talk about it. I don't think so. Like she that's how Ephraim she got have it. That information. Ephraim got it from the syndicate. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Right, so, the Packlebell birds. So how does the syndicate get that information? And I don't. And that they would need to get it from the trader. So if they can get that information from Publius, I guess that's believable that he could have access to that like scheduling information. He's that would be my one thing ben. that that would be the only thing that I would still be kind of skeptical about that there possibly could be another person involved. But for the most part, I am I'm gonna admit defeat on this one. I think you don't think Publius was invited to Quicksilver's birthday party? He might have been, but would he have access to like Pax and Electra's schedule and like where they're going and where they'd be that would be like really high priority well they're they're stuff. just leaving the birthday party. he doesn't know where they're going who cares they're on the ship leaving the well, birthday they have to go for through an exact place they had the grab wall set up so they have to be on an exact route isn't it like normal that they would go back to selenius manor no i think it's pretty normal <laughs> no all right whatever that's where they live no. Well, they could have also been going back to the Citadel. They could have been fucking going to Mars. They could have been doing anything. I think it was Publius. I'm agreeing <laughs> with you, and you're still arguing. <laughs> you're trying to say it's someone else still. I'm just no. making sure that you're fully shut down. I'm just saying I'm still skeptical of Publius being able to provide that information. And if a second trader pops up, I will not be surprised. All right. We'll see. So, question mark, Atlas knows the mind's eye. We did get a reference to that. We got a little, like, Lysander being like, oh, I thought that I was the only one left with it. Well, he it. starts mind's eye and yeah, he's, Atlas. Yeah, he's mind's eye and Atlas, <laughs> and then Atlas is like, stop that. <laughs> Unless you want me to do it back to you. We're like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> Let's mind's eye each other. <laughs> So we thought that Lysander was the only one with the mind's eye. And now it's like, oh, this makes sense why the Minotaur wants the mind's eye if Atlas has it. Right. Because now it's like, oh, this is the only way he can defeat him. Yeah, he needs to be able to defeat Atlas, obviously. So um, it definitely sounds like uh, Octavia was lying and probably taught. <laughs> which Did is she not, ever not yeah, lie? which is not surprising and she might have taught atlas because it sounds like he does know it for sure he also has that moment where he's like got his back turned to lysander and he knows he's like about to hit him uh-huh so it's like that's clearly mind's eye shit yeah or just like ninja shit <laughs> yeah. and then um also atlas didn't know that lysander's brain was diddled by octavia 
Yeah, because at one point he says something about his mom. He's like, your mom, you know, she was always like, a you remember heart. your yeah. mom. And he's like, no, I don't actually. And he's like, hmm. no, you remember your mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? He, he like pauses and thinks about that for a second. And he's like, huh. So maybe we'll get more info, maybe from Atlas about the mom. He seems like a interesting guy. He's um, clearly not a good guy. Yeah, we learn the most about him in these chapters. And we definitely learn... I think previously I had speculated that he could possibly be a reformer. I think these chapters like completely cement the fact that he's definitely not. Well, I think the asshole forest cemented that he's not well, a reformer. He actually gives some justification for that. That was interesting. It's like he's actually doing that to like reduce casualties. And he's thinking about it from his side's perspective, obviously, and not like the war as a whole, but like the more he can have that psychological warfare and take out his opponent quicker. That's why he uses tactics like that. Um, Instead of just like throwing people at the front of the line. Right. Traditional warfare. It's like purely clinical to him. It's not a situation where he doesn't like, it's a lack of empathy, honestly. (laughs) Like it's, it's pretty psycho shit, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, you sound pretty impressed by this, Ben. No, I'm not impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Ben's becoming a goal. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to explain why he does what he does. Right, right. Yeah, and that's how he sees it. His perspective, his justification is different. Yeah, and so yeah, any hope that he's any kind of a good guy, I think, is gone. He and he calls her, his, like Lysander's mom. He calls her a bleeding heart. So that's like he's like yeah. criticizing. He's kind of yeah, he's kind of eye rolling her. Yeah. Uh, at that point. And then Lysander's like, "Who?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then our last one on the list. Prime five number five. We kind of already talked about this, but it's our first mention. Yes. In this book of who Ben? Cassius. Ben's boyfriend, Cassius. <laughs> so this is the first time that we get any mention of him. And I don't I don't recall, but I don't think I knew it was Cassius when Kavax was saying it the first time I read it. Oh, I caught on immediately. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Well, I had already <laughs> looked ahead. Because he tells him, or t- he's talking to Mustang, and they're talking about the war, and they're discussing strategy, remember? And then they're like, the rim is involved now. And Mustang's like, what? Where the fuck did the rim come from? Right. And I also said that. Yeah. <laughs> Where are all these bad guys coming from? <laughs> and then they're like, we got to... F- we got to fall back to Mars. Mustang's like, I agree, but I don't like it. And they're like, how did you know the rim got involved or whatever? And what's the plan? And that's when they say, same guy that told us the rim is involved. We're going to send him to go get Darrow with a special invisible ship. <laughs> is it invisible? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And then he's like wearing shining <laughs> Gold knight armor. <laughs> what a badass. He's he's the hero of this story. He's the hero he's of He's not the every hero. Story. No, he's not. <laughs> Sometimes he's the bad guy. But in this story, he's the hero. He's the hero of my stories. All right, Ben. <laughs> you can calm down now. We got to talk about Cassius. <laughs> All right. That ends the Prime Five, which takes us to our Primus of the Week, which is our one character who conquered our Proctors of Plot. And rose above the rest. Aaron, our Primus of the Week is... Lysander. Wow. 
Lysander. Why is Lysander the primus this week? First of all, he's less hateable when there's an abominatrius running around. That's true. It's like, which little turd do we hate most? Obviously the clone, which mm-hmm. moves Lysander up. He also saves Alexander in this moment. Mm-hmm. So for a second, he's likable. This is really where you start to like Lysander before he fucks it all up again. <laughs> yeah, before he gets really duplicitous. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he escapes the torture dome of you know Atlas's prison and then enacts a new plan that ultimately leads him to on um, to like a major major come up. So this is all where it starts right here. That moment, that meeting with Atlas, and then the breakout at the end of the chapter. So good job, Lysander. Is that his first win of Dark Age? I think so. Could be. Good job, Lysander. He definitely and won't then win again. Mustang like almost won, but she was like way more beat up. Yeah, she <laughs> almost died. So Lysander <laughs> ended on more of a high note, right? In our opinion. Um, okay, let's move on to the Howler voicemail. We've got a yes. couple. Our first voicemail comes from a good friend, my friend Tyler. Oh, you have friends? I do. Nice. Low Aaron, low Ben. It's your boy T O. Calling in to give mad props to the Howler Pod duo. I'm, <coughs> I'm several Telemana-sized whiskeys deep and about to pop some Zola Dona in honor of my good friend, S.M.T. Motherfucking Horn. Wanted to call in to satisfy the quarter of drunk voicemails and to discuss why Howler number one is the man. I really like the first three books in this series, but I love the last two books because of the multiple first-person point of views and getting to really know the different characters, especially my favorite foul-mouthed gray brawler, Ephraim. So that being said, I think it's safe to say we're going to have a bit of a lull between the end of Dark Age reread and the drop of the sixth book. So may I suggest a set of pods devoted to some of the character study of our favorite personas from Red Rising including, but not limited to, Darrow, Mustang, Severo, Victra, Lyria, and for my broom-wielding, spirit-berry-munching, vodka-sipping, Zolodone-popping, soft-hearted maniac, Efren T. Horn, Omnis Vera Lupus, Hallas, Oh! Just incredible. So you know that person? I know T.O. very well. We used to play college basketball Wait, together. did you recruit him to we, read Red Rising? He picked it up on his own oh, after wow. he saw that we were doing the podcast. So you, you inadvertently recruited him? He's the motherfucking man. He's my old roommate. We used to live together. He taught me everything I know about everything. And obviously he's fucking amazing. I've never heard someone love Ephraim more. <laughs> I mean, it's up there with us, I feel like. Uh, no, he definitely loves Ephraim more than I do. <laughs> I don't know, That's man. That's like on a level of obsession. <laughs> well, I think I'm it's not, deserved on Ephraim's part. I'm not over here popping spirit berries and Zolodone. <laughs> like, I don't love him that much. <laughs> well, Tio, nice to meet you. 
He's the best. Thank you for listening and for reading the books. That's why we released the podcast. And we are for sure going to take your idea for some character studies. Right. In our interim uh, between the reread of Dark Age and the next book, we're going to still be releasing episodes and we'll go on some deep dives, some hell dives, if you will, (laughs) into... uh, certain characters and go through their whole story arc. Thank you, T.O. Love you. Um, I don't love you, but thank you. <laughs> Let's move on to our next voicemail. This one is from our friend Sharkbait on Instagram. Sharkbait. <laughs> what up, nerds? This is Kathy, a.k.a. Sharkbait. I finally finished listening to the last five or six episodes and uh as promised leaving your voicemail unfortunately it is nine o'clock in the morning so i am not drunk i have not drank a bottle of wine uh maybe i'll call you again later um just gotta say just finished episode 50 and love you ben (laughs) for repeatedly describing Zaxo death that was traumatic the first time around and hearing it described so delicately by you definitely was just super not fun um anyway just want to say absolutely love you guys love the pod love the way it has really kind of brought together the whole howler community in such a fun way um i've I've been introduced to so many excellent uh, other fans, and uh, it's just all because of you. So, thanks. You guys are awesome. Carry on. Oh, and I forgot. Darrow's theme song is obviously something by Breaking Benjamin. Uh, If you listen to I Will Not Bow, it's, I mean, it's literally him. So, go listen to that. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you, Cassie, even though you said fuck you. (laughs) Well, first she was like, I love how Ben, and Ben was like, ooh. And then she was like, fuck you, Ben. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I want Cassie's side. She must not be a fan of volleyball. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Sharkbait, a.k.a. Cassie. And um, I don't think I know that Breaking Benjamin song. Do I'll put it in right here.
need to learn the lyrics better, but I like all these Darrow theme song suggestions. I like their name. They got a good name. I also feel like Darrow like goes through different phases of his life. So I think all of these theme songs could be his depending on which Darrow we're talking about. We need like a Darrow playlist. Just a just specific straight Darrow. Darrow. Yeah. So far it'd be pretty random. <laughs> <laughs> and also pretty sad. Pretty sad. <laughs> well, the dancing one isn't sad. That's true. It's dancing in the dark. You're sad. sad. I'm, maybe Ephraim's I'm just sad for Darrow. Ephraim's is sad. Anyways, thanks so much, Cassie. Yes, thanks, Cassie. Um, and thank you for the kind words. Like We really appreciate that. Thank Not you for telling Ben to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Not except for that part. <laughs> and yeah, that's the whole reason we have this podcast. So, is that, so that we can uh, find new fans and bring people together. And that's so cool that you've found new friends howler friends through the podcast that makes our little heart so happy it does next up our mailbag section i'll pull up the howler mailbag and we've got a couple questions here these also revolve around playlists we had a lot of people send in some ideas our first one comes from grace burdett she says have you all listened to the red rising trilogy playlist by Nildine Spagnuolo on Spotify. If not, I highly suggest you do. It is straight fire. I suggest putting it on shuffle and just letting it play. There's some great instrumentals on it as well as some more and less popular stuff. All just very Red Rising-ish, specifically Darrow-ish in my opinion. So this is our Darrow playlist here we were just talking about. Do they have the Breaking Benjamin song on there? I don't know. I'm going to pull it up. It would be a bomb-ass starting point for the TV show soundtrack. Just sharing some awesome Red Rising-related shit. Omnis Verlupus. Howler out, she says. So, so the Red Rising Trilogy book music? Red Rising Trilogy playlist by Nildine Spagnuolo. 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 Okay, we got some Bastille, some Muse. Imagine Dragons, Linkin Park. I love Linkin Park. Those are all suggestions I think we've had before. Yeah, yeah. some bands I haven't heard of. White Stripes, nice. 21 Pilots, Katy Perry, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Florence and the Machine. Ooh, here we go. Johnny Cash Hurt. Oh, yeah. I hurt myself <laughs> today. That's very Ephraim. <laughs> Nice. I'm going to listen to that. Thanks. I'm giving it a follow right now. That's the Red Rising Trilogy book music on Spotify. Nildine Spagnuolo. We're saying that right. Definitely <laughs> nailed it. All right. Let's move on to our next Howler mailbag. This one is from Bus Bjorken. He says, hi, Ben and Aaron. Here's a Howler from the Netherlands. And I love Howler Pod. Nice. Colleague, tip me on Red Rising because I love Star Wars, my kind of guy. But I found you guys on my own, so I've sent him your way. Two things I want to share. He says, with his litty, with his witty lines, Ephraim in my head sounds completely like Robert Downey Jr. Does Ephraim make you think of a specific actor? I don't think so. I, I haven't. Th- I don't really I think about char- book characters as actors in my head. And me either. I know that's yeah. a, that's hard for me because they become something more than human like i don't even necessarily picture a face i picture like a feeling yeah yeah i don't typically picture faces either Uh, but i think that's a really great choice like you gotta have somebody that can really 
pull off like the quick talking, sarcastic nature of Ephraim. And RDJ is perfect for that. He can already rock a goatee. Why does he need? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was thinking of Rolo's goatee. I'm pretty sure Ephraim has a goatee. I don't picture Ephraim with a goatee. Well, I think I just on that one fan art that came out with Mm -hmm. Iron Gold or whatever, he had a goatee. Yeah. Yeah. I picture him sad boy clean shaven. (laughs) I always pictured him pretty beardy. I don't know. Well, you picture him as a dad and I don't. Apparently, I'm wrong about that. You're definitely wrong about that. So, okay. Major dad. Hey, everybody, let us know which actor specifically you think Ephraim should be. And we will say it on the pod. And I'll steal it as my own idea. Weirdly enough, do you know who Jim Rome is? That's what I think Ephraim looks like in my head. What'd he play? <laughs> He's like a fucking sports personality from like the mid 2000s. I definitely don't know who I that don't is know. then. Yeah, but if anybody knows who Jim Rome is, that's who I picture as Ephraim. Anyways, Netherlands are cool. I've been there to Holland, you know. Nice, uh, what are those called? Those clogs. I bought some of those. some touristy shit but uh it's i think that's our first howler from the netherlands to write in i believe so so we're hitting every country we're we're just worldwide here (laughs) we're global howler pod worldwide we're we're not just global (laughs) we're in the whole galaxy let's (laughs) let's be real we need somebody to call in from well we i guess we had volsung fall called in from space already so from deep space yeah wow Wow. We're out of this world. Kuiper belt. Out of this galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is the Kuiper belt out of the galaxy? No, it's just out. Damn it. In our solar system. It's kind of at the it's end. Fine. Of our, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. We can pretend. Um, he also had one other thing. He said, reading on the train and Metro, I need to drown out the voices of people talking. So he says, instead of Springsteen dancing in the dark, he threw together a playlist of modern classical music. And he says the hope he hopes the future series will sound something like this, and you can check it out on Spotify. Ooh, another playlist! Yeah, we got another playlist. Let me pull this one up. We really got a theme here. It's called "Red Rising Saga" by Bus Bjorken, and it's spelled B A S B R E U R K E N. Got it. Yep. So if you want some classical go with buses if you want some more like pop rock stuff you know uh let's go with the one from nildine spagnuolo that was suggested Spagnuolo. By and i just followed both of them and i am aaron airs on spotify and don't judge my music choices <laughs> 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 that first one was suggested by grace yeah okay so thank you lots of new music to listen to this week yeah, it's very musical, music themed. Nice. Good job, Howlers. Yeah. Of course, if you guys want to call in to the Howler voicemail, you can at 1-800-516-1540. Hear your voice on HowlerPod. And you can also email us at HowlerPod at gmail.com. You know what it's time for? What are we into this week? <laughs> you can go first. Okay. Speaking of... You're going to give more music out, aren't you? Speaking of the galaxy... <laughs> Um, so I think you're thinking of the solar system. Solar system. (laughs) Hey, we're all in this (laughs) together. Um, I am going to give a quick backstory. I was in, uh, I was a member of the Kansas city symphony chorus in 2015 
And we recorded with the Kansas City Symphony um, a, a bit of music. And I received the CD recently. Yes, a real CD. <laughs> and I had to find a way to play it because I don't have a CD player. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I played it. And um, it is The Planets by Gustav Holst. Holst, excuse me. And of course, uh, this is an orchestral suite, which was written um, around 1914 to 1916. And then the Kansas City Symphony performed it in 2015. (laughs) (laughs) And I could be heard singing with the group um, on the last, the seventh song of the suite is the only one with voices. And um, they're based on the planets. And my favorite of all of them, of course, is number one, which is Mars, Mm. which you can hear in like a ton of movies and stuff. It's once you play it, you'll recognize it. It's the most popular one. I'm not a huge fan of the other ones, but um, I sing on Neptune and that that one's kind of creepy. So I like that one, too. That Mars song is very reminiscent of kylo ren's theme from the new star wars trilogy if you've heard that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so ben what are you into this week i'm into a book it's called an absolutely remarkable thing by hank green uh this is a really good book i actually listened to the audiobook narrator was really good um super bubbly and just really did a good job of capturing the personality of the uh, protagonist uh, but it's basically a book. Uh, I would think it's probably classified as young adult, but it's it's more grown up than that, I think. Um, it's really good. Basically, it's about this girl who is walking down the street one night and sees this giant like transformer robot on the sidewalk. It's like 10 feet tall. And it looks Wait, like is it one of Quicksilver's robots? <laughs> and she thinks it's like a statue. And so her and her friend like make a YouTube video about it. Um, and it ends up being like alien technology and then this whole um, kind of mystery. And they're trying to figure out where these came from. It ends up that like on this night, like 60 some robots of this size or transformers of this size showed up in the major cities around planet Earth. And then it kind of goes from there. Um, she becomes super famous for the video that she makes and it kind of deals with her journey on social media and just like becoming a super famous social media person and also trying to figure out the mystery of this alien technology that showed up. Um, it's really good. Uh, it ends on a cliffhanger. So don't get mad at me when you read it. And then you can't because the next book doesn't come out until June. Oh, OK. Uh, it's a series. So it's a series. But. It was the first book that I've ever read that really deals with like our modern society. So like she's making YouTube videos. She's on Twitter. She's dealing with like trolls on the internet and um, the issue of these robots or transformers kind of showing up. It becomes like super divisive and it kind of divides the nation and there's people that are scared of them and then there's people like her that think they're just here to you know, check things out. We don't know what the aliens are up to because they don't speak and they don't move or do anything. They're just like, they just show up and are there. And so it's really interesting. It says a lot about kind of just like modern society. And, and like I said, it's one of the first books I've ever, it is the first book I've ever read that really deals with like actual like modern times, like cell phones and all that type of stuff. It's really, 
interesting take on it. Sounds interesting. That's good. That is called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. And I'm into The Planets by Gustav Holst. So uh, what's coming up on Hellerpod, Aaron? Chapters 60 to 65 of Dark Age. Some more people die, (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's got to be getting pretty close here. Yeah, someone's dying. Um, Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us at howlerpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave a voicemail, 1-800-516-1540. Find the links for all this and the phone number at howlerpod.com. Tell a friend about the books. Spread the word. Leave a random book one, Red Rising, on a park bench. Mm-hmm. I love that at, idea. At your local park. Mm-hmm. Put it in one of those drive-by book library things that people have, which I've never stolen a book from there, but I feel like I should. It's not stealing. Oh, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels like stealing. Okay, and don't forget to rate and review us. Five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, we will drop a 10,000 pound obelisk on your head and you'll be squished. Thanks, Alers. Omnis vir lupus. Oh. Oh. Bum, 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 bum.